So today's talk is on uh, three suttas. I think I'm only going to read two. I hardly ever, when I do this series, I hardly ever get to the poor Mula Sutta, so I might do it another time. But um, the reason why I named the, the main volume that we study, uh, Becoming Buddha, Becoming Awakened, is because the, the Buddha's entire Dhamma um, resolves in the understanding of what I'm becoming in this moment. And if in this moment my refined mindfulness has integrated the entire Eightfold Path to uh, inform and describe this experience, then there will be no more stress and suffering for me in this world, or at least self-created. If in this moment I am still rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, then the only possible thing I can become in the next moment is further ignorance, ignorant of those Four Noble Truths. Does that make sense to everyone? Anyone online doesn't get that? So the whole point of the Buddha's Dhamma is what are we going to become? And when I get to the second sutta, you'll understand the importance even more because Ananda picked up on this, this whole idea of what am I becoming. Um, <clears throat> this first sutta is a Loka Sutta. Um, I tend to read these first two suttas on every retreat. I fit them in usually, but they're, they're, significance, um, they're significantly important to understanding the, the, the Buddha's Dhamma. Uh, this sutta... Um, describes what the Buddha awakened to. It's, it's written or a, a recording of what the Buddha was thinking just post his awakening. The newly awakened Siddhartha, now Buddha, was enjoying the peace of release, release from the ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Established in concentration, he observed the world around him. Now look at what his description of the world and how it clearly defines our world today. There's no difference. He noticed human beings aflame with the, fire, the fires born of the defilements of passion, aversion, and deluded thinking, or deluded consciousness. Another uh, way of saying that is greed, hatred, and deluded thinking. Realizing the significance of what he was seeing, he thought, the world is aflame. Rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, the world is afflicted by sensory contact, contact and perceived suffering as self. Rooted in ignorance. So these first two lines describe the, the causation of the problem and what we're to do about it. I'm going to read it again. The world is aflame, rooted in ignorance. The world is afflicted by sensory contact and perceived suffering itself. Because of my ignorance, when I come in contact with the world, I am misinterpreting what's occurring and I'm taking it personally. I cannot not take it personally from a mind rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. That sets in motion the entire mass of stress and suffering as described in dependent origination. The Buddha continues, rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, that mind misunderstands self and becomes anything other than self. Again, defines the entire Dhamma. Because I misunderstand who I am in relation to the world, my first thought and my first breath right after the doctor hits me starts reaffirming my own ignorance, doesn't it? It doesn't come into bloom or difficulty until later on in life, but every impression on my mind from the beginning of birth until I have the proper frame of reference is conditioning my mind towards further ignorance. So why do I, I describe awake, or awakening as full human maturity? Because that's exactly what it is. When we are to the point where we're going to start doing something in our life, and for many of us, that, that type of self-awareness might happen even at 14 or 15. For most of us, it usually happens, or it happens for every human being around 12 or 13. We usually don't start employing that type of self-awareness until a little bit later on in life, usually inadvertently or, or um, 
in an unskillful way because we don't understand what we're doing. We're still ignorant of foreign old truth. Now, some of us, as we go through life and, not, and notice and work through some of the natural difficulties inherent in having a life rooted in ignorance of foreign old truth, start looking for other things, a way, and, and initially it's usually this way for most people, to fix a broken self or find something in addition to this self so this self can live better in the world. Both are wrong ideas. They're rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. They're, they're both of those intentions or motivations are rooted in a misunderstanding of self. Is that clear to everyone? And any time that I think I need to fix a broken self or embellish this self, I've lost my mind, according to the Buddhist Dharma. What I need to do at that point is take a breath, unite my mind and my body, and realize this is what I am right now in this moment. But anything else is not me. It's not what I am. It's not what I can become. Now the Buddha continues. And, and so, <laughs> to finish that thought, and so when I start creating a, a view of myself in relation to the world that's rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, I have now become anything other than self, haven't I? That's what the Buddha is referring to. And then that mind will take that manifestation of ignorance even further and start creating very speculative and magical existences for itself, either in this world or in a fabricated uh, non-physical world, which is the culmination of most of modern Buddhism is in this fabricated non-physical world. It's usually where um, it's presented that this is where an awakened human being resides, not here, but there. And that is one of the most hurtful things anybody's ever taught, because what it's saying is your human life is worthless. Don't even put much consideration to it. Don't worry about living it fully, because your reward's going to come by doing all the right things. That really is hurtful, isn't it? In fact, I would say it's hateful. What the Buddha realized was the same thing. And he, he taught and he realized that the most important thing of having a human life was actually living that life. And anything that would take you out of that life was unskillful in relation to the Dharma. The Buddha continues. So becoming anything other than self, remember that initial ignorance immediately described me as something other than what I really am. Becoming anything other than self the world now clings to becoming. Becoming what? Becoming further in ignorant. Afflicted by becoming and yet delights in that very becoming. And we do all do that, don't we? Every time we acquire something that we think is adding to this fabrication that we created, we take delight in it, don't we? I've got something. And when we get a big uh, pile of gold, we're even more emphatic and we're, more even, we're even more deeply entrenched in the world in that case. When something like that happens. Where there is delight, there is fear. Where there is fear, there is stress. Where there is delight, there's fear. Where there's fear, there's stress. Delight is what? Delight is craving. What's the second noble truth? Craving for and clinging to fabricated views, views ignorance of four noble truths, is the cause of suffering. It's related directly to four noble truths and then dependent origination. Where there's delight, there's fear. Where there's fear, there's stress. Of course, we all know that, except we don't, we don't really know the cause of most of the fears that we're generating within ourselves. We tend to put it on, on worldly conditions or other people. When if we have any fear, and I'm talking about an unrational fear, and I'll tell you a story in a moment, an unrational fear is obviously taking, taking everything very personal. So on my very first retreat, I was asked this great question, and it is a great question because it's important. I could see this person was getting very upset about my teachings on, on not-self and misunderstanding it. 
and they asked this question and they were actually kind of shaken a little bit. Ron might even remember this. Um, because of their own frustration. And it was really, well, what do you do when a train's coming at you? He was thinking that I was teaching that there's no such thing as a self and you could just dismiss it. But the Dharmic, an Dharmic answer is if the train's coming at you and you're on the train tax tracks, what does the Dharma tell you to do right now, Ram? Get out of the way. Take two steps to the right. That's pure Dharma practice. And it's not taking anything personal. The reason why I'm saying it in that way is there's not some grand scheme that put me on a train track with a train coming at me. Even if I believe it, there is. It's not. It's because I'm standing on a train tracks with a train coming at me. Common sense in the Dhamma says, take two steps to the right. That's the development of, of practical Dhamma, is knowing how to, how to apply it in, in very simple but worldly conditions that keep us disentangled from the, from the world. The Buddha continues, the life integrated with the Eightfold Path is lived for the abandoning of becoming slash further ignorant. The, the word uh, integrated, whenever you read my translations and my restorations and you read the word integrated, what I'm, what I'm um, using that word for is uh, instead of uh, holy, to, to put some type of religious connotation on it, even though holy really means integrated. You know, it doesn't really have any, any spiritual or religious connotations, except now it does. So in a, a life, a, a holy life with the Eightfold Path is an integrated life with the Eightfold Path. And it's lived for the, for the abandoning of becoming further rigged. Those that say they, that escape from becoming is by non-becoming non are never released from becoming, I declare. The Buddha emphasized that, didn't he? Ram, what's meant by becoming... What's meant by the sentence that, that saying that escape from becoming is by non-becoming? What does that mean? I struggle with that. Um, it's, a, it's a good point to talk about a little bit. Yeah. And if you, it's okay if you don't have the answer. Yeah. If you want to escape from becoming... That the escape isn't by non-becoming. That the escape is not from non-becoming... And then my question is, what kind of becoming am I trying to escape from? Ah, becoming further ignorant of Four Noble Truths. Right, but why... Hmm. Well, yeah, again, read it in the context. In the right, context, yeah. it is becoming further ignorant. It, it, yeah, it is. You know, Th let me, let me read it that way. Yeah. Those that, that, that say they, they escape from becoming further ignorant is by non-becoming are never released from becoming further ignorant. So you're, what the Buddha is saying is that you got to look through, you got to develop understanding of four noble truths if you're going to develop any understanding. Doesn't this go back to your teaching of the governing principle? Yeah, and it also relates to uh, the uh, I can't think of the name of the sutta now on noble and ignoble searches. It's what else can you be than what you are? So yeah. you try to become something non-becoming is a fool's chase. Yes, we should only be, try to become something that we actually can be. Doesn't that make sense? And we cannot become something non-physical. Here I am. So to strive for some type of magical or non-physical establishment of self is just foolish, isn't it? And it's prone to stress and suffering. But the notion that is usually substituted for ignorance is a fabricated speculative realm for me to achieve or establish myself in, as was most of modern Buddhism. You'll get your reward when you die, or you'll awaken in endless future eons. 
or you'll end up in Tulsita Buddhist heaven to be taken care of for endless eons by, uh, I can't think of a name now, by yeah, Amitabha Buddha. That's, that's the most prevalent form of modern Buddhism is that, that uh, I can't even think of the name of that anymore. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Nichiren Buddhism or... Uh, it doesn't matter. The most common form of modern, of modern Buddhism <coughs> is this Buddhist, Pure Land Buddhism where you're taught to basically keep this chant on your lips forever and ever and ever. And if you die with this chant on your lips, in your mind you'll be instantly transported to Amitabha Buddha heaven where you'll be taken care of forever by Amitabha Buddha. Sounds like a great idea, isn't it? The problem with that is it's nothing that the Buddha ever taught. I thought it was a great idea. All I got to do is chant forever and ever and ever and I'm good to go. So I started that. I, I took up this practice. I lasted about two minutes and I, <laughs> I decided to try something else that made more sense. <coughs> Excuse me. I didn't mean to say it like that. I, I, I was very denigrating to pure land Buddhists. I really, I'm, I apologize for saying it. It wasn't right. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't right for me. And what I found is it wasn't what the Buddha taught. Um, but that's what the Buddha is talking about in non-becoming, creating these fabricated dharmas um, that have nothing to do with developing a human life right here and now. The only thing we can become through the Dhamma is to become an awakened human being. And that's the only thing we should be striving for. So, thank you. Yeah, the confusing part for me is still actually in, in all three of these uh, suttas is that uh, the Buddha has this annoying habit of never saying what you're becoming or what you're not becoming. He just uses the word become. Because that, that's part of the context, and I think it's important mm -hmm. that he doesn't do that. Right. That he doesn't, he doesn't nitpick our Dharma practice to death. We all understand, I'm sitting here listening to an awakened human being. The point for me to be here is to awaken, so it's given. I'm here to become awakened. And I think that's, I mean, I, and I'm saying that not because I'm guessing it, from reading a lot of how the Buddha taught, I think that's why he didn't, he didn't get into the extremely min, minutiae of the Dhamma in life. You know, we're here, we're, you're listening, you're here tonight. You're, the point of, of why you're here is to awaken. So you want to become awakened. And so you want to understand what do you have to do to not become further ignorant. And anything that would, that would any type of idea, it doesn't even have to be a, dharmic practice, any idea that would, that would force you to create a, a speculative establishment of self is not Dhamma. And that, that, that doesn't have to be out, outside of this life either. The, the, massaging the notion that I am by far the world's greatest meditation teacher is the same type of speculation and fabrication. Mm -hmm. And even it's, if it can be proven and I'm sure it wouldn't be that hard, but to prove that I am the world's greatest meditation teacher, it could be proven, if I think it, now I'm in trouble. Because now I have to be, moment by moment, the world's greatest meditation teacher. And rather than actually teach meditation and teach the Dhamma, every moment is going to be looking to you to validate my view of self. And again, I've just lost my mind and I've lost this life. That could be much more meaningful if I don't have to be the world's greatest meditation teacher and simply do what's in front of me. Framed by the Eightfold Path. Is that clear? Did I explain that becoming and non-becoming well enough? Hey, John. Uh, yes. John, uh, would you say that uh, every moment spent in uh, in, uh, in a not self is becoming? Then could you phrase it that way? Well, yeah. Any any time you're not in that way, anatta would be would be describing living with a fabricated view of self. So yes, any time you're living that. 
you're, you're in a fabrication, you're prone to stress and suffering, you're, and you're stuck in ignorance. Anyway, again, that, thanks for saying that, Michael, because that, that, that's the ultimate teaching on anatta, you know. Um, could, I'm getting a feedback. Could you make sure all your mics are off, please? Thank you. Unless you have a question. <laughs> so this is the, the essence of the Buddhist Dharma. What am I going to become in this moment? And if in this moment my, my refined mindfulness, I'm well concentrated, my mindfulness is framed by the Eightfold Path, then in this moment I can become, become or moving towards becoming awakened. If not, if I'm continuing to ignore the Dhamma, either because I decided not to practice anymore or I'm simply ignorant of it, the only thing I can become is further ignorant of Four Noble Truths. It's the only choice I have in this moment. Now, it, again, it, some people might think, well, what about all the people that aren't practicing the Dhamma? What about them? They're not practicing the Dhamma. They don't have, nobody has to do this. And the Buddha, this is not meant to be a salvific religion. The Buddha knew how unskillful that idea would be, and he never set himself up as a savior. He simply taught a way for human beings that are interested to become human beings. Let me continue. The life integrated with the Eightfold Path is lived for the abandoning of becoming further ignorant. Those that say that escape from becoming is by non-becoming are never released from becoming further ignorant, I declare. Stress arises in dependence on becoming self, meaning this fabricated self. Stress arises in dependence on becoming this fabricated self. With the ending of clinging to this fabricated self and maintaining this fabricated self, no stress will arise. The biggest push in modern times is perhaps recognizing and abandoning stress. What did the Buddha teach us about ignoble searches? You can't find the answer there, can you? This is the answer to stress. Recognizing and abandoning all personalization of life. And think about that. Think about every, any stressful uh, incident you've ever had. Maybe think about one that's happening now. And at the root of it, you'll find that you're taking something in there personal. And it's a good idea to do that every now and then, to find out what your personal part in this is. And then take a breath and let it go. The Buddha continues, look at the world. Human beings afflicted with ignorance crave for and cling to becoming. All forms of becoming anywhere, in any way, are impermanent, stressful, and always subject to change. Even the notion that I'm going to establish myself in some future Buddhist heaven, and that's going to be permanent, the Buddha is saying, uh-uh, not even there. The Buddha continues, knowing this, the arising and the passing away, knowing the impermanence of each and every moment in life, the arising and the passing away, from right view, craving for becoming and non-becoming is abandoned. You could say that from developing the Eightfold Path, craving for becoming and non-becoming is abandoned. From the abandonment of craving for becoming and non-becoming comes unbinding from fabricated views. For those unbound from lack of clinging and maintaining, remember the dependent origination? From those unbound from lack of clinging and maintaining, there is no further becoming. These have conquered ignorance, they've completed the task, and have gone beyond becoming further ignorant or becoming a, root, a self-rooted in ignorance. That's this sutta. Let me just check the time. Uh, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> um, does anybody have any, any questions related to that sutta before I go into the Baba Sutta? 
it is pretty straightforward, isn't it? That, and it, the point is, what are we going to become in this moment? If my, my mindfulness is well-framed by the Eightfold Path, then I'm going to become awakened. And I'll move towards becoming awakened. This relates directly to this idea of becoming, and it gets to the root of the matter. And uh, it's Ananda's question to, to his cousin about becoming. And the reason why is even during the Buddhist time, there was a lot of confusion about the idea of becoming. Much like, like Ram asked, why does the Buddha get into the details? Well, because he wants us to think, like he's, he's, he's forcing Ananda to think about the Dhamma and what's the point. On one occasion, Ananda went to the Buddha, bowed and sat to one side. He was unsure of the meaning of becoming and asked his cousin, the Buddha, becoming, becoming, to what extent, to what extent is there becoming? And again, remember the context, we're talking about becoming further ignorant. The Buddha replies, Ananda, if there were no karma ripening within the feeling property, would the feeling property be noticed? No wise teacher. What does it mean? If no karma is ripening in the feeling property, would the feeling property be noticed? You have to think back a little bit to dependent origination where contact creates feeling and feeling creates the, 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 the ongoing progression of dependent origination. What is that whole thing rooted in? Ignorance. If there is no karma ripening within the feeling property, would the feeling property be noticed? How do you get to that point? With no karma ripening in the feeling property. Everybody remember the definition of karma? The present moment unfolding of past intentional actions moderated by the present level of mindfulness. That means whatever the quality of my mindfulness is in this moment will determine the reaction or, or practical response to what's arising rather than a conditioned response, which is what karma is. So in this moment, what's arising, if my mind is rooted in ignorance of formal noble truth, is known as karma. And continued ignorance, I can only become further ignorant. That's karma. That's what karma is. If there were no karma ripening within the feeling property, would the feeling property be noticed? If there's, there's no reaction to what's occurring. If we have no feeling. If Would the feeling property be noticed? Yeah. Be an issue? No. Did, what, did somebody said something? No, it wouldn't be noticed. Yes, it wouldn't be an issue. We wouldn't be noticed in this way. Well, I wouldn't be talking about you hurt my feelings or my feelings are ahead or, or I don't feel good or I don't feel right about this or that person upset me or I didn't win the lottery. Now my life is over. That, that's, that, that's what we're talking about. Taking something personal in this moment. And it is in that taking something personal this moment that I now become upset. I'm the one that, that I was the, the, the becoming agent, the way that I was thinking of something. Is, does everybody understand that? I'm getting a little playing with words a little yeah. bit here. Yeah, I, I have a question. Yes, please. Um, so, but what if it's, it's, a, it's a pretty tricky situation if you, well, I guess it's not. If you want something to be different than it is, then you're... You're, you're clinging, craving to something that you you have no control of. But say if you're trying to get something or be in a relationship that you would like to happen and you're not getting the results that you want, I, I guess. Well, yeah, I, that, that's, that's, that, there's your desire, isn't it? You're in a relationship with someone right. you want them I to be different than it is. That's it's the part. Yeah, it's, it's very obvious. I guess it's very obvious, but then. Yeah, so it's you. Hard, it's hard to do the. Sometimes to let it go. Yes, but you 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 describe the scenario 
uh, that all stress arises in perfectly, wanting someone or something to be different than it is, either ourselves, right. another person, right. or the situation. And right. when, as soon as I decide that, I'm, I'm stuck in becoming further ignorant, aren't I? Because the reaction itself is rooted in ignorance. So you ask about desire. Um, and again, there's a subtle aspect of that when I ask that question that I understand is people asking, well, how do I do anything in this world? What motivates me? What motivates you if you don't have desire? I would ask the question, what is the premier motivation for anything in this world? Liberation. No, no it's close. Life. Great, great. What's, what, let me put it this way. If I'm going to go change the, if I'm deciding tomorrow morning I'm going to change the oil in my car, what should be the primary motivation for me to do that, knowing how to do it? All other motivations are useless unless I know how to do it. The motivation could be to save 20 bucks. That motivation is just going to get me in trouble unless I know how to do it, isn't it? The motivation could be to awaken. But that notion is going to get me in trouble unless I know how to awaken. Everybody got it? Could you repeat that? Yes. Let me just think about putting it another way. Karma is my, my own conditioned mind pushing me into the next moment to, in, in, in a way to maintain that ignorance. In other words, karma is a continuation of ignorance. If I, I devise a way to, to interrupt in this moment additional karma, then I've broken that chain, haven't I? I'm moving myself towards awakening. How do I do that? It's through the Eightfold Path. And how do I interrupt the continuation of karma? By interrupting my thinking process. In the next moment, my thoughts might fall back to right where they were. But that's Dhamma practice, isn't it? It's, as, as Tom was saying, it's a little bit at a time. But, and and uh, Dev was talking about this too earlier. It's noticing this a little bit at a time. Noticing the fabrication here and there. Recognizing as such taking a breath. And once you recognize the fabrication and take a breath, you don't do anything else with it. You just let it go because that's all you can do with it. So I'm going to go back to that once more. Ananda, if there were no karma ripening within the feeling property, would the feeling property be noticed? Does everybody understand that it won't be noticed? And it won't be noticed from an ignorant point of view. It doesn't mean we stop feeling. We stop using our feelings to verify or validate our own ignorance. There's, then they're just simply human feelings that we're not taking personally. It's just we felt. It's just what we felt. It's just, and, and you could say... As the Buddha taught by here, and what is seen, there's only the seen, and what is felt, there's only the felt. Mm-hmm. It's only that. It's only what I'm feeling. When I feel, when I feel, when I think, when I'm motivated to do something about how I'm feeling, I've lost my mind. Why? Because now I'm not, I'm not owning this. The, the feeling is mine. I should, I should, it's part of my life. I should not not want it. No matter how awful the feeling might be in relation to ignorance, it's what, what's occurring. And so then each and every moment is a meaningful moment. I, I, I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but when I walked into the, 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 uh, the viewing room for my father's funeral, it, I've been through a lot of funerals in my life. I'm 65. A lot of people have died. And they're always unpleasant and to some extent, and some worse than others. I had a feeling of, of just um, of pleasant understanding of seeing my father in a casket for the first time. It was remarkable. I could still feel it within my body. That was the feeling I had. That's the kind of feeling we're talking about. And in that feeling was great sadness. I didn't want to see my dad dead, even at 101. But I had such an incredible appreciation just for the moment, not even appreciation for the man. 
just what I was experiencing right here, right now. This is my dad's viewing. That was it. And that was enough to bring incredible meaning to something I've been to a couple hundred times before or a hundred times before. And that's what I'm talking about. Ordinary moments have incredible meaning when we're present for them. Yes, Michael. Was that right, Michael? Yes. Yes, Tanya. So uh, basically, uh, would you say then, uh, to uh, experience without attachment, we experience yes. the moment without attachment to it, yep. moment attachment. Yep. And remember how the Buddha started this, this, the Loka Sutta, the world is a flame, a flame with what the fires of passion. Where did the fires of passion come from? Taking something personal. It's the only way. And again, look what's going on in the world right now. But it's always been that way since the Buddhist time. All the difficulty in the world comes from people taking things personally. I just listened to a gentleman give a news conference, and every single... Ah, I don't want to go there. I'm sick of talking about politics. <laughs> so the Buddha continues. But it really fit. <laughs> I, I, again, let me go back to that one line. Read it for the tenth time, and then I'll move on. Ananda, if there were no karma ripening within the feeling property, would the feeling property be noticed? No wise teacher. And notice the, the way they respond to their teacher. That's the correct way, by the way. In this way, the Buddha continues, karma is the field, consciousness the seed, and craving the moisture. What an incredible line, isn't it? Karma is the field. So if you want to understand karma away from the, the, the pop interpretations, karma is what I'm building. Consciousness is the seed. What I'm thinking feeds my life. It feeds the field of my life. And craving is the, the, the nutrient. It's the fertilizer. What I crave for is going, to, is going to grow in the field of my consciousness. And then it's going to be manifested in the field of my life. Everybody following that? Karma the field, consciousness the seed, craving is the moisture. This is how it happens. The consciousness of human beings rooted in ignorance and bound by craving is established in wrong view. When a human being's mind is rooted in ignorance and bound to that ignorance by craving, it is established in wrong view. And once a human mind is established in wrong view, renewed becoming is produced. Renewed becoming further ignorant is produced. Once we're rooted in wrong view, that's the only way we can, we can go. It's the only life we can develop. Well, I, shouldn't, I don't know... I don't know of anybody who developed awakening without the Dhamma, but I shouldn't make a blanket statement. Maybe there are people are. I haven't met one yet. Not a problem. It's not my, yeah. Um, yeah, we're interested about people that can use the Dhamma to awaken. If you're already there, good for you. The Buddha continues, If there is no karma ripening in the form property, would the form property be noticed? No wise teacher. Again, now the Buddha's going to relate this to the five clinging aggregates, form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and ongoing consciousness. The response is always the same. So, so um, becoming takes place. In fact, I think I'll stop here. The rest of it is just mostly a repetition of that. and you, You've all read it. So, um, this issue of becoming is the primary issue. And it is as wise Dharma practitioners whose minds are rooted in jhana practice, excuse me, rooted in concentration... It is that concentration that will bring to mind, another word for mindfulness, what you need to be holding in mind this moment. That's why you've heard me say that we need jhana meditation, a well-concentrated mind, to be able to facilitate our holding in mind the entire Eightfold Path as the framework and guidance for our life. In the beginning, that sounds like a daunting task. How can I ever 
even memorize this. Most people can't off, off in the beginning. But I would say that David and <laughs> David and, and Ram both can talk about how they've integrated the Eightfold Path as their way of living in the world. Mm-hmm. And it is that way that we end our karma, we end our ignorance, and we become awakened. Excuse me. And Deb's description of his meditation was simply describing a practice. Yep. Yep, Mr. Thank you, David. It's just this. And so what we're doing, we're we're putting in all this right effort. We're we're going to classes, you're listening to me, you're you're meditating twice a day every day, you're doing all you're doing for this one reason. And it's a damn good one, isn't it? To become awakened. And we know that it works. We could all we all we have to do is look around within our Sangha and we know that it works. But we also know that a human being has done this. We also know that he left his teachings. And we also know that we're living within those teachings. There's no doubt that we are going to become awakened as long as we all continue. I hope we all do. Thank you. Uh, let, we'll go online first. Um, I, I'm going to kind of make this a rule for a while. Or maybe we should always do it. Um, we're going to go around the room. I'm going to ask you to keep your questions or comments to two or three minutes. And the, you know, if you have a question about the sutta or your Dhamma practice, please ask it. Um, what I'd like you to talk about is talk about how this sutta um, relates to your understanding of your Dharma practice and Four Noble Truths and uh, Dependent Origination. Uh, let's go around the room and try to keep it short, and if there's some time left before uh, my ride arrives, then we can go in, in depth a little bit more. Uh, I'm going to start with Brett. Brett, how are you? There you are. Um, thank you. Thank you for teaching. Uh, good to see everybody. Um, uh, you know, the only thing I can say is that I just kind of went through a period where I wanted something to be different, and uh, I kept on coming back to my breath, and um, and I guess I still wanted it to be different, and feelings would arise, and, and it's like you said, you know, just being with your, I guess, just being, you have to be able to sit with the feelings, you know, mm-hmm. uh, no matter how hard they are. I think what you said is uh, be able to sit with them, they're your feelings, and the yep. sooner you can figure that out and actually accept it 100%, it's like that's the freedom. Um, and then not want it, and, you know, not, it's, it's the, there's all those, if you take it personally, you're kind of, it's going to get you, um, you know, and if you want it to be different, it's going to get you. So, yeah. yeah. That's Dharma so practice, very, Brett. Very, Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That, that's it. You've described Dhamma practice perfectly. Steve, how are you? Uh, thank you, John. Doing good. Thank you for an interesting uh, subject. And uh, this may be comments, maybe my own view, but I want to uh, a little bit about uh, karma. I think karma is not only what you build, sometimes, it's uh, not sometimes, it's a combination of environment where you grow up and uh, social environment because if, uh, for example, person grow up and uh, family uh, who always yield on each other, most kindly, he will be yielded on his wife too because mm-hmm. he doesn't know what he has face. So it's not only, unfortunately, what we build, sometimes it's uh, about some condition too. 
Um, yeah, I understand what you're saying, Steve. Outside conditions have not, nothing to do with karma. It's our reaction to outside conditions that have to do with karma. So the same environment, the world is the same for everyone, isn't it? Um, and then we have micro-environments, a family, a town, a state, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but none of those are personal and none of those are karma. They, they're just the world. So we have control. We're in complete control of our karma. And it has to do with the way I'm thinking. And the reason why I'm, I'm kind of nitpicking a little bit is that that's an important point. Karma is entirely dependent on how I think about myself in relation to the world. Period. So. Uh, well, I'll talk to you tomorrow night. Good. Take care, Steve. Thank you. Hey, Michael. Hi, John. How are you? I'm um, good. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, interesting suit this here. Um, you did say uh, how these um, different concepts, or for us to explain how these different concepts relate to our life and what we're, you know, what we're how we're living our life. Well, just for me, the, uh, you know, karma and uh, karma dependent origination, uh, if you understand dependent origination, again, and the, uh, the feedback loop and uh, uh, self where self-reference is, uh, is established, and you could also understand it, uh, you know, karma, the craving is self-referential, and that also refers back to the second noble truth. So, uh, where our suffering uh, originates. So, to me, it uh, comes down to uh, being introspective in a moment, uh, trying and uh, understanding that yeah. uh, you know that that next whatever we set forth in that moment uh, can either put an end to karma or could feed karma or or uh, put uh, you know moist, uh, moisturize the uh, seed of consciousness with craving, which is what we don't want to do. So uh, being aware of my self-referential views uh, as they arise, and they arise you know, many times throughout the day, uh, in that moment, I rec- I'd like to think that I'm able to recognize them for what they are and, yeah. uh, and what occurs from that recognition of what they are and how I, how I react in that particular moment, yeah. if that's... Not too confusing. No, well said, my friend. Well said. Hello, Julia. Hello, John. Good to uh, see you. Thank you for the teaching today. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, the, the only thing I can say is Dujana. Dujana. Uh, Dujana, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. As, mm-hmm. as the Buddha always says to us, right? Um, because the more we have a calm and peaceful mind, the more we unbind ourselves to all things that are impermanent. Yep. The more we experience life the way it should be experienced, from a peaceful equanimity, yep. and we can we can we cannot we can detach ourselves from from the things around the things around us the things that are you know aflame. Yeah. And so that's all, that's all I can really say because I my, my experience is that is that the more I meditate the more I I find myself in that state while walking. Around you know, and, and I, I I take that peaceful equanim- equanimity with me in my daily life, yes. and a lot of times I feel kind of like almost like I'm witnessing or watching, like I'll, like I become a watcher <clears throat> myself, you know, and and it's uh, it's almost like I have constant wise restraint 
uh, you know, I point of contact with everything around me. And believe me, it's very difficult sometimes when you're working in a high, in high school with high school kids that are, have troubles. Uh, if, you're, if you're not careful, you will take on what, you know, what they're, you know, what they're experiencing because it's, it's easy to attach yourself sometimes to, you know, to yeah. your children. You know? yeah. So with my restraint you, and, you know, a, a calm and peaceful mind, you can maneuver your life better. Thank you, John. Thank you, Julie. Well said. Um, uh, Jane, how are you? I'm fine, John. Um, I just, I echo what Julia just said. Ditto. All right. I'll let you get away with that. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Jane. Um, There's, I I can't quite see that. Sarah, is that you? (laughs) There's one person. Yeah, that's you. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Sorry about that. Thank you. How you doing? Thank you for. The... <laughs> I'm well. Thank you. Thank you for the teaching. Um, I'm a little bit struck by the notion of not feeling. And at first, as you were talking about that, if 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 you're, would you would you feel the feeling if it if it. If you had it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You did, like oh. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was thinking, yeah. At first, I was thinking. Well, then we would never feel, and we'd become very. I don't. I don't know. Cold people. Yeah. As I as I'm processing it, or as it's kind of falling in, or the pieces are kind of coming together, I'm seeing that you, we, we don't become cold. We just begin responding to life and, yeah. and the, the feelings really aren't that important it, it, it they kind of can get in the way of actually being responsible and responding to things that are happening at the moment so i appreciate that yeah thank you sarah again like i as i said this is something that everybody comes up against and it sounds like annihilation at first when you start thinking about it but the buddha is not saying that we we, we don't feel we, we simply stop using our feelings to continue to inform our own ignorance. That, that, that's the only difference between an awakened human being and one who's not. You have, every, you have every human emotion, but your emotions don't get the best of you, to use that phrase. You know, they just, your emotions then just inform your own human life. They, they, it's the, um, uh, your emotions then become the, 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 the subtleties in life rather than um, just some banal... Uh, existence that's with completely withdrawn from life. It's just the opposite. The most compassionate human being that ever lived for himself and all the, all other human beings was Siddhartha Gautama. He didn't awaken and then leave the world behind. His great wisdom and compassion is still affecting us right here, right now. I, I think that's a whole lot more affected than some fabricated, you know, accomplishment. So, yeah, I, do you understand, Sarah? It's getting there. It's starting to, it's starting to gel a little. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't lose the ability to feel. In fact, we we learn we gain the ability to feel legitimately for the first time. So, thank you. I'm glad you joined tonight, David. How are you? And just to continue with awareness and understanding, you're open to feel and be more sensitive. Yeah, because you're. You're not layering all the lies and all the deception 
So you're more clear about that feeling and that emotion. And you're not clinging to it. You're just cognizing because it's cognizing. Yep. So uh, it's the complete opposite of annihilation. It's, it's, it's the engagement yep. moment by moment. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, David. Well said. Rom, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Yeah, these these suttas always um, <clears throat> uh, they're trying for me. Um, but over the over the years that I've been been reading them and, and listening to you, <clears throat> um, I'm starting to see that he's using becoming uh, in these different shades of meaning. Mm. And I've gotten an understanding of some of the shades, and and they've been they've been helpful for me uh, in, in looking, for instance, in, to becoming as uh, that movement away from the, the present, from here and mm. now. You're, yep. you're you're moving away to the future. You're moving away to the past, um, and and you're no longer present. Yep. Um, and that's been helpful for me, where where I, I can see where I'm I'm not here. Yeah. And literally, point, that's you know, you can look at that, take a breath, and abandon it. Yeah. And um, but you know the 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 Bhava Sutta where he speaks of how um, you know how we add things to our feelings, uh, you know, fed by karma and, and craving. Uh, there too, there, there's a, um, there's a wonderful relief when you can just feel something. Yeah, just feel it. That's what I was describing when I walked into the, 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 the viewing room. Yeah, I had a similar experience when I was sitting in, in the church and at my, my mother's funeral. And... I just started crying. It was just this this wave of crying and sadness that came over me, and I was perfectly fine with it. Yeah, you know, I, it, and it was perfectly appropriate. Yeah, it was. It, it was you know to some people around me that was a bit strange because you know they were all Dutchmen and they don't cry, <laughs> <clears throat> um, but um, it was it was a uh, a wonderful way to just be with that feeling. Yeah, and. and, and and not to put words in your mouth, and then when, when it was appropriate for the feeling to leave impermanence, it did. It did. Yep. And I was fine with that too. Yep. You didn't have to wish it away. You didn't have to mm. go to a, go to you know, get some help about it. Get it with therapy about the right. feeling. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have to drink it away or beat it away or anything. Uh-huh. You just yeah. you you just remain mindful. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's always been the frustrating thing about therapy is that. They keep asking me about my feelings. <laughs> oh, excuse yeah. me, but I, I don't want to get into it. But... Right now, yeah, I'm there's... sitting in a, in, in, a, in a therapist's office. That's that's my feeling right now. Yeah, yeah. And I may not want to be here. <laughs> Congratulations on becoming awakened. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, how are you? I'm well, thank you. But I, I think I might. I'm processing all I've heard. I, I may observe noble silence tonight. Oh sure, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you are. And again, I, I, I'm sure you've heard me say it, but I'm always available. You have any questions during the week? Just send me an email. We'll, we'll hook well, thank up. So. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you for teaching. Dad, good to see you. I'm glad you made it here tonight. Welcome to our physical sangha here. <laughs> thank you. 
What did you uh, What did you get out of tonight's sutta class, if anything? Yeah, I'm also processing. I, yeah. I, I found uh, something interesting that you said about karma, karma being a difference between a conditioned reaction as opposed to just the, the, the present mindful, yeah. the practical reaction. And so I'm, I'm going to chew on that for a while. Yeah, good. That's an important thing. Thank you, Devin. Again, thank you for joining us. Um, the 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 pop uh, understanding of karma, uh, like most everything, is has nothing to do with what the Buddha taught, and it sometimes it's hard to to um, let go of that notion that karma is somehow some outside agency, whether it's a uh, you know a, a devil or a Jesus or a Buddha or someone else acting on us. Uh, that's just not true, at least as far as the Dhamma is concerned. So karma has nothing to do with an outside agency manipulating us towards hopefully better behavior or trying to punish us towards better behavior. Karma is simply just that. It's an, it's an internal uh, mechanism. It has nothing to do with what's outside of it. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, we do have a little bit of time. Uh, if we want to, anybody else have anything else they'd like to, does anybody else have anything else <laughs> you'd like to talk about? See that the one time I got time at the end of the class? Okay, well, uh, it's okay with ending class a bit early. Uh, I can't think of anything else. All right, well, end with meta as we always do. So find your relaxed meditative posture and take a moment to become mindful of your in breath and your out breath. And these are the Buddha's words on meta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Thank you, John. Peace. Thank you, John. See y'all. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.